Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, between the controversial debt relief plan and the end of a moratorium on student loan payments, we break down the information you need to know and what borrowers should be doing right now as the details are being sorted out. Also this morning, with the annual Medicare enrollment period less than a month away, it would be wise for seniors to start researching their options now. We'll tell you where to start. And it has been exactly five years since Hurricane Maria virtually wiped out the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico. Not only has it been a long, slow recovery from that disaster, it was a storm that changed the way relief organizations approach these disasters moving forward. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. Kind of dragon this morning. I I don't know what it is. I'm I'm just uh, I was talking with this talking to my wife about this. Um, I almost feel like I'm waxing nostalgic for the days of the pandemic. I don't miss the lockdowns and not having anything to do and you know you can't go anywhere. But you know anything like that. I, I'm not uh, I'm not nostalgic for those days. But at the same time. It would be kind of nice to have a a couple of days where <laughs> I can sleep in as late as I want. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to see anyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, a, a few days like that every now and then are not such a bad thing. Uh, but anyway, I digress. You need a, a reason to celebrate on this Tuesday morning. It is National Fried Rice Day. Also, it is National Pepperoni Pizza Day. I like both of those things, but I think I would lean toward pepperoni pizza. Uh, National Punch Day, I would assume National Punch Day is a celebration of the fruity drink, not necessarily promoting violence. I don't, I don't know. I have to look that up. String Cheese Day. <laughs> have a little string cheese with your fried rice. If you're not into pepperoni pizza and it is national gibberish day, which is like every day around here. I don't know. That seems like it sometimes. So did you watch the uh, queen's funeral yesterday? Um, It would have been actually rather hard to miss. It was everywhere uh, on uh, TV. And so uh, I was watching a little bit of it here and there. It was kind of on in the background as I was doing other things and, so uh, anyway, my my wife was uh, the the most touching moment for her was when the queen's corgis, her dogs, uh, they caught a uh, a shot of of her dogs along the procession route. I guess I did not see it, but my wife did, and she was telling me about it. And she was very touched, <laughs> and I was like, they they don't know what's going on. I have no idea. Well, as it turns out, uh, dogs do grieve. Uh, Research shows that our furry friends do mourn the loss of loved ones, and their activities and their behavior can change after a close human companion passes on. Uh, Signs to watch for, they say, include hiding, cowering, irritability, anxiety, and changes in appetite. And the best way to help a grieving pet is to maintain the routine, the daily routine that they are familiar with, provide a sense of security, and of course, plenty of attention. So there, I'm sure the uh, corgis, the queen's corgis, will will do just fine in that department. Thank you very much. Um, this was uh, kind of interesting. If you've ever uh, heard the uh, uh, claims that uh, in this country during the Super Bowl. That uh, you can monitor what's going on to the game by changes in people's behavior en masse. Yesterday, same thing in the United Kingdom. A spokesperson for the National Grid, the power supply in the UK, a spokesperson, uh, spokesperson says Britons who are watching coverage of Queen Elizabeth's funeral caused a massive power drop. Um, equivalent to 200 million light bulbs being turned off, a two gigawatt power drop 
detected around 10.30 a.m. there in that nation as people stopped what they were doing, stopped vacuuming, stopped doing their chores, stopped working to turn on the television and watch the funeral. Uh, The TV uses a lot less energy than what people normally do. So they two gigawatt, 200, what was it, two gigawatt power drop when the uh, Queen's funeral started in the UK yesterday. Uh, And they said the power usage stayed uh, right around that level uh, at the start of the funeral, picked up another 500 megawatts as the ceremony went on because um, people got up from their seats to go put the kettle on, have a little tea, have a spot of tea. (laughs) Well, they could track all of this in the electrical usage in the grid around the country. It was kind of interesting. Uh, Even though energy levels went back to normal levels as people got back to whatever they were doing uh, through the course of their day, the uh, energy use dropped even further by 500 megawatts during the two-minute silence for the Queen. Uh, Thousands of people waited in line to catch a glimpse of the Queen's hearse on its way to the funeral at Westminster Abbey in London. And afterwards, when her uh, coffin was uh, shuttled to Windsor Castle, where she is to be interred, the royal vault next to her husband, Prince Philip. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Anyway, just kind of uh, interesting, the uh, trend they tracked with uh, power usage in the UK uh, connected to the the Queen's funeral. I thought that was... uh, I thought that was uh, kind of interesting, and uh, it was hard to miss the uh, Queen's funeral yesterday. All of the networks were carrying it, and uh, the news channels and so on. But it, and if you thought that coverage of the Queen uh, was was everywhere in this country, think about it in Great Britain. I mean, it literally was everywhere, except on one channel in the UK, Channel Five has been both praised and criticized for their decision to counter-program the Queen's funeral. Now, their idea was that for families with very young children uh, or you know things like that, they wanted to offer some alternative programming so that parents who, for whatever reason, didn't want their kids to watch or their kids weren't interested in, you still had to keep them entertained, they decided to show, like, kids' movies and, uh, and everything, you know, during the, during the funeral. So that was one uh, person in the U.K. said, full respect to Channel 5 for showing kids' films all day when every other channel is wall-to-wall funeral cover- coverage. But others took offense at the... Titles, or at least one of the titles that they decided to show. Uh, apparently, many people felt the Emoji Movie <laughs> was was not the most was not the best choice. Uh, there was one person on Twitter that of all the films you could have shown, if you don't want to show the funeral, uh, why why the Emoji Movie? So. <laughs> Anyway, but uh, yeah, Channel 5 aired the Emoji Movie and then Stuart Little. So that was, I actually thought this was a good idea, you know, and because there are kids who don't care, kids you still have to uh, keep entertained and all of that. Somebody had to do it. <laughs> the Emoji Movie? I don't know that it was disrespectful. It's just, why the Emoji Movie? I mean, of all... <laughs> so uh, the Queen was 96 years old. And uh, uh, funeral uh, held yesterday. Uh, meanwhile, in France, this was kind of interesting. Um, Alain Alain Robert in uh, in France celebrated his 60th birthday uh, the other day. Now, apparently, he is uh, famous in France as an urban climber. They call him the French soup, uh, Spider-Man, the French Spider-Man, because he climbs buildings he's an urban climber and he celebrated his 60th birthday by climbing a 48 story building with no safety gear with no safety gear mr robert 
wants people to know that age is not holding him back. I want to send people the message that being 60 years old is nothing. You can still be active, participate in sports, do fabulous things, he said. He climbed the Total Energies building in Paris in just one hour, 48 stories in just one hour, and then was promptly arrested. But he was uh, only using climbing climbing shoes, chalk, and his bare hands. And he says he does it to raise awareness for climate change. (laughs) Because if I see someone scaling the outside of a 48-story building, the first thing that comes to my mind is, what does climate change have to do with this? (laughs) Now that's the way to celebrate right there. I mean, the queen was 96, but what did she, she never climbed a building, or she never did anything like that. Climbed a 48-story building using nothing but her bare hands. Let's be honest. Uh, let's see here. And, uh, here's an, an item. I just, uh, throw this out here, uh, for the benefit of, uh, it seems very appropriate. First thing this morning, would you be able to make it through the day without your caffeine boost? According to a new poll, three out of four coffee drinkers say they simply could not go a single day without a couple Joe. There's a survey of 2000 coffee drinking Americans finds the average enthusiast enjoys two cups per day. And takes 21 minutes to finish each cup. Uh, The average coffee drinker also says $3 is the tipping point for a regular sized brew. Anything over that is just too expensive. Three bucks. uh, Three bucks for a coffee. Uh, 45% feel that coffee has become more popular across the nation over the past three years due to coffee related trends. Remote working and working overtime. That's kind of interesting there. So you are not alone if you can't make it through the entire day. We'll try and muddle through. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny skies, expected today a high of 82, partly cloudy tonight, a low of 68. Hancock Public Health says there have been eight suspected drug overdoses in Finley and Hancock County recently, and that's an unusually high number. The agency's Gary Bright reminds people that they have the overdose-reversing medication Narcan available. It looks pretty clear to us that the more Narcan kits we get out there in the hands of folks who may potentially overdose, the less fatal overdoses we're going to have. He says people who get revived by the medication will have a chance to get into treatment and on the path to recovery. Get more on the website. This is National Rail Safety Week, and the Ohio State Highway Patrol and other safety agencies are asking people to refresh their knowledge about railroad safety. William Miller with Norfolk Southern reminds people that it takes trains a long distance to stop. You know, by the time the train crew would see someone on the tracks, either walking or, you know, a a car that's stopped on the tracks, it's probably really too late for them to do anything at that point. The ongoing Stop Track Tragedies public awareness campaign from Operation Lifesaver shows the impact that rail-related incidents have on families and communities. Get more on that public awareness campaign on the website. The family of Stone Folds, the Bowling Green State University student who died following a hazing incident involving alcohol, addressed a room full of student-athletes. His parents, along with his siblings, AJ and Jersey, drove home that message of ending hazing to student-athletes at Denison University. I pray that you listen closely. Hazing is abusive and senseless. It's very dangerous and it can kill. The Foltz family hopes no parent, no friend, has to endure what so many families have before. Richard Solomon at Denison University. Finley Fire Department and Hancock Public Health are teaming up for a car seat check event. It'll be held on Friday at Finley Fire Station 4. That's on County Road 236. At the event, trained professionals will check to make sure your child's car seat is correctly installed and provide tips on how to buckle them in. The event is part of National Child Passenger Safety Week. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, as everyone knows by now, the federal government recently announced its controversial plan to forgive student loan debt for qualified borrowers. Also announced at that same time was the end of the moratorium on federal student loan payments after the first of the year. 
So there's quite a bit to unpack here for the millions of Americans who have outstanding student loan balances. And joining us is Brian Walsh, manager of financial planning and student loan expert at SoFi. So Brian, first of all, not all of the specifics of the debt forgiveness program have been formally announced, but we are starting to flesh some of that out, right? What do we know and what do we not know at this point? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. And, you know, we're learning more every single week. Uh, when the announcement first came out uh, a few weeks back, uh, there were still a lot of gaps that, that need to be clarified. So what we know right now on the forgiveness front is that it's going to be up to $10,000 of forgiveness mm -hmm. if you did not receive a Pell Grant, uh, up to $20,000 of forgiveness if you did receive a Pell Grant. And then no matter what, there's income thresholds. So you need to be under $125,000 if you're single, under $250,000 if you're married. So that's the high-level details. We have found out that it applies to pretty much all federal student loans. Uh, so even to current students, to individual borrowers, to parents. Uh, so that's something that that's worth keeping in mind. And then we also found out the application is gonna be released in early October. Uh, and then it should take probably uh, one to two months to process after the application uh, has been filled out. So. I think right now we have a pretty good idea of all the major aspects of student loan forgiveness for people to kind of take their next steps and, and, and get the application rolling once it comes out. So with respect to that, how do people prepare? Is there documentation that people need to start to gather uh, to find out if they, well, uh, I was going to say to find out if they qualify, as you uh, mentioned, is pretty broad in terms of qualifications, but uh, is there documentation that people will need in order to apply and, and things like that? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing they'll need is their FSA ID. So they'll need to go to studentaid.gov when the application uh, is released online. At some point in the future, there'll be a paper application. Uh, so if you're anything like me, and it's been a while since you went to college, finding your FSA ID and password would be step number one. Uh, number two would be going back to your taxes that you filled out for 2020 and 2021. Uh, because the income threshold is based on those two years. Okay. Uh, if you were below the threshold in either one, and it's adjusted gross income they're looking at, so probably having those taxes ready as well. Now, the other part of this, as we mentioned, and this is the the part that hasn't really gotten as much as tension, but I, I think is maybe even more significant, is the resumption of federal student loan payments that were paused during the pandemic. For those who either don't qualify for loan forgiveness or even those who do but have more debt than the amount being forgiven, you're going to have to start writing those checks again. Exactly. And that'll kick back in in January. And what we're working through right now is, yeah, I think it's natural for anyone where if you go two and a half, almost three years without making a payment, right. uh, it's natural for it to kind of fall to the back of your mind. So if you can afford to right now, making practice payments between now and January, uh, maybe just transferring from your checking, your savings, something like that would be good. If you're in a tough financial spot, uh, I would explore income-driven repayment options to really kind of keep those payments in check uh, compared to your income. And then lastly, we're seeing people explore refinancing the remaining amount uh, of federal student loans. They would lose federal benefits but it could be a way to lower interest rate or lower your monthly payment between now and then. Yeah. Now, uh, I was going to ask, how, how concerning is it? And we've heard a number of financial uh, folks uh, talk about the concern that, like you said, going a couple of years without having to make these payments, you tend to adjust your budget for not having to make these payments. And then all of a sudden, uh, it's a it's a jump back in. How concerning is that uh, within the industry that uh, people will not be able to you know find a way to get back into that uh, habit of making those regular payments? Yeah, I, I think it's it, it's a concern just from the standpoint of it's it's unknown. Um, but just looking at it from a, a practical perspective, there's multiple options out there for people. So for people who are in a challenging financial spot, 
The Biden administration also announced a new income-driven repayment program that lowers those income-driven repayment payments further than what they were before, basically cutting them more than in half. Yeah. So I think there's options for people. Um, and then for other people who are in a good spot, it's just about kind of getting back to including it in your budget and then making sure that you're probably a little bit more careful during the holiday season right. because you got holidays in between now and payments. <laughs> right, in. exactly. Now, uh, again, the income-based repayment plan is not without its caveats as well as a number of borrowers uh, have learned uh, if the income repayment amount is too low, uh, you can actually see your balance go up, not down. So that is true um, up until the announcement a couple of weeks back. So that's actually the, the third part of the announcement related to income driven repayment. Uh, they're doing a few things. Uh, number one is the percentage of discretionary income has been lowered. So it's 5% of discretionary income for undergraduate loans and 10% for graduate loans. They're also decreasing what's considered discretionary income. Um, so it's basically going to lower it further. And then lastly, to your point, if the payment is not big enough to cover the interest, then the government is going to subsidize the interest mm. under the new income driven repayment plan. So the loan won't grow. And as you mentioned, there is also the opportunity to refinance uh, those student loan uh those student loan amounts uh, as well, uh, which again has always been an option. So as we're looking at the big picture with respect to the resumption of payments, what should those borrowers be doing right now? I mean, you mentioned a couple of things, but, you know, taking a look at the the big picture holistically between now and when those uh, payments are set to resume, what would you advise folks to, to be doing? Yeah, I think the first thing is to get started uh, working through this sooner rather than later, whether mm -hmm. it be getting your documents together, reviewing your budget, or even exploring refinancing where you know you're going to have a good chunk left for student loan debt. Uh, just because the Federal Reserve is expected to raise rates multiple times, including this week, between now and when payments kick back in. So right. I think getting started earlier would give people an advantage. Uh, I think the second thing is really being clear about what your goals are for your student loan debt. Some people want to pay it back as quickly as possible. Other people want to, you know, minimize their payments now because they have a lot of other things going on. And it's once you figure out what that goal is, you can kind of mix and match different strategies uh, to figure out the best way to accomplish it. Now, again, I, I want to ask you kind of a, a an industry type question. As we said, the and everybody knows the student loan forgiveness uh, that the president announced has been highly controversial. What is the general feeling within the industry about the idea of student loan forgiveness, and what do you see as the potential for broader student loan relief moving forward? Yeah, I think I, I'll speak for myself on this. I I was excited excited to finally get clarity. Uh, it's been a few years now where this has been kind of talked about and there's been extension after extension on the moratorium. So for borrowers to finally get clarity and myself as a planner to get clarity, I, I was very relieved by that. Good point. Uh, future forgiveness. I, I, I'm, I'm probably less optimistic that there's going to be future forgiveness just because in order to get this forgiveness and these changes, which are very substantial and will be very costly, it took a, it took a global pandemic. Um, this was connected to the emergency powers uh, related to COVID. Um, so it didn't go through Congress. So I think work with this forgiveness, figure out the best plan for whatever's left over rather than kind of holding out for more forgiveness in the future. Yeah, uh, very good advice. Again, uh, Brian Walsh is manager of financial planning and student loan expert at SoFi. Brian, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, it is coming up on that time of year again. We're talking, of course, about Medicare open enrollment, the time when millions of Americans make important decisions about their health care coverage for the next year. And joining us this morning is Dr. Erica Schwartz, president of Insurance Solutions from United Healthcare. 
uh, with some helpful advice for those first timers or those who are looking to make a change. Uh, Dr. Schwartz, tis the season. Uh, first of all, what is uh, what are the dates and what are some of the more uh, most important things to consider uh, when examining all of the options with respect to Medicare? So for those individuals that are already enrolled in Medicare, annual enrollment runs from October 15th through December 7th, and it allows individuals to make changes to their plan or to enroll in a new plan. And it's important to take advantage of this time to find peace of mind to ensure that you are enrolled in a Medicare plan that can help you meet your health and your budget needs for the year ahead. So uh, there are a lot of different options, and it seems like there are more options uh, each and every year that may or may not be true, but it seems like it. So what do we uh, consider, you know, give us kind of a pecking order of, of some of the things we should keep in mind. Medicare can be complicated and confusing for many individuals, and it's really, if you feel this way, it's you're not alone because it's really important to ask a few questions when considering Medicare coverage. Does my coverage meet my personal health needs and will my benefits change? Does my coverage fit my budget? It's important to understand more than just your monthly premiums. You should also have an understanding of other out-of-pocket costs like co-payments and co-insurance and deductibles. Are you comfortable with the doctors and the hospitals associated with the coverage you're considering? If you're taking medications, are your medications going to be covered by this plan? And finally, are you considering a plan that has benefits that are important to you, like dental or vision or even gym membership? Yeah, uh, with respect to that, uh, obviously, the, what are called typically referred to as Medicare Advantage plans can offer some of those uh, extra benefits. Uh, that is uh, a growing, uh, growing more popular uh, for for many Medicare recipients, but uh, not the only option that people have. Talk a little bit about the different types of Medicare coverage and what they sort of bring to the table. Yeah, Medicare has four basic parts, parts A, B, C, and D. Original Medicare includes parts A and B, and basically part A covers inpatient care and part B covers outpatient care. Now, part C, as you mentioned, is called Medicare Advantage, and this combines part A and part B into one plan that's offered by private health insurers. And as you mentioned, Medicare Advantage does, some plans do cover prescription drugs and some other benefits that are not covered by parts A and B. Dental, vision, hearing, fitness memberships, uh, disease management programs, and 24-7 access to healthcare professionals. And then there's something called Medicare Supplement or Medigap. And these plans help to cover where Medicare parts A and B do not pay, such as portions of your co-payments, your co-insurance, and your deductible. So uh, you referenced medications, and that obviously is a big issue for a lot of particularly seniors who tend to uh, be on more medications. Uh, so how do people uh, ensure that those are covered? And we've heard some things uh, here recently with uh, legislation uh, that will allow Medicare to negotiate on uh, drug prices uh, that will lower out-of-pocket po- costs for seniors. What, if anything, do we need to know about those changes when it comes to medication specifically? Well, you know, the one part that I didn't mention was Part D, and Part right. D does help cover for pres- prescription drug costs. And there's two ways to enroll in Part D. The first way is standalone Part D plans, and the second way is via a Medicare Advantage plan that offers prescription coverage. And for more information about how the Inflation Reduction Act will change uh, those plans, I say stay tuned because more will, more information will follow. So uh, one of the other things uh, that I think it's important to point out, again, Medicare Advantage is, like we said, becoming a much more popular alternative, uh, but there are some folks who are are still a little apprehensive uh, about that. If you opt into a Medicare Advantage plan, that Part C, uh, are you locked into that forever, or if you go that route as opposed to traditional Medicare, which maybe you've had in the past, and you decide that you don't like it as well, can you switch back? Yes, 
absolutely. And I will, I would actually have, have you go to medicareeducation.com uh, to get more information on Medicare specifically and to answer questions just like that. So uh, there is, uh, that does mitigate some of the concern, I think, or some of the, the risk, I guess, uh, of the unknown with respect to, uh, to those. And again, you're going to hear a lot more about this as we approach the uh, open enrollment dates, which uh, again, what are the, the dates specifically for those who are currently enrolled to make changes? Right. Those dates are October 15th through December 7th. Okay. So uh, now is the time. Don't wait. Now is the time to start researching your options, though, because there are so many of them. You're going to need uh, as much time as uh, as you can get to uh, make a decision you're comfortable with. That's the message this morning, and you can actually start looking at these things now. Dr. Erica Schwartz, again, president of Insurance Solutions from United Healthcare. Mention again the website where folks can get more information on the uh, uh, options that you offer. Absolutely. Visit medicareeducation.com. And let me tell you, when you get to that site, you will be able to make, be feel confident about making your Medicare decisions. Again, Dr. Erica Schwartz, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Now, we mentioned uh, a couple of weeks, or a couple of times already this week, that it is Rail Safety Week. So, it's very ironic that this story should pop up in the broken news. A police officer in Colorado has been placed on administrative leave after leaving a woman in a squad car that was struck by a train. <laughs> now, the woman's going to be okay, so we can... You know, she had to be hospitalized, but she's going to fully recover, so we can... Uh, look at the irony of uh, this. The 20-year-old woman was stopped on Friday as part of an alleged road rage incident, and the whole thing was right near a set of railroad tracks. Well, the uh, cops placed her in the back of the officer's cruiser, which was parked, as it turns out, on the railroad crossing, which is probably not the smartest thing to do in the first place, because lo and behold, here comes a train. The patrol vehicle was hit by the uh, freight train as officers were searching the woman's car. <laughs> so they were distracted. They put her in the car. They go to put her in the patrol car. They go to search her car. And here comes a train. <laughs> Bang. Uh, the woman remains hospitalized, but is uh, expected to fully recover. <laughs> the cop is on administrative leave. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> okay. Uh, this is a, an interesting uh, story. Uh, let's see here. Following a University of Arkansas football game, Doug Ramsey was arrested on Saturday. Uh, police say that Mr. Ramsey and another individual got into a fight in a parking garage near Razorback Stadium. Mr. Ramsey was arrested for uh, making threats and for third-degree battery. What's interesting about this, now, again, he uh, apparently was uh, arrested for biting this man's nose during the altercation. Doug Ramsey was biting uh, another man's nose during the altercation. What's interesting about this story is that uh, Mr. Ramsey is the chief operating officer of Beyond Meat. <clears throat> Think about that for a second. See, CEO of Beyond Meat rested for biting another person's nose. All right, uh, let's see here. Um, what is it with people making off with crab legs from Walmart. Haven't haven't we had like two or three stories about that? Here's another one. Memphis police are looking for a man. They say stole over $300 worth of crab legs from his local Walmart store last month. Theft occurred August 22nd when the suspect placed a box of crab legs in a cart and then walked right out of the store without paying. 
Uh, he is described as a black male, over six feet tall, with a thin to medium build, made his getaway in a red Chevy Camaro with an unregistered tag. Anyone with information on the seafood heist is asked to contact police. Isn't that like the third or fourth uh, crab leg theft from a store? And I think they've all been like Walmart stores. What is it about Walmart crab legs that suddenly is very hot? Is there a big, apparently there's a big black market for this. I didn't know existed, but apparently so. Uh, weird story here out of, uh, Spotsylvania, Virginia, the uh, Spotsylvania County public schools have offered their superintendent job, superintendent of schools. Uh, they've given it to a man who apparently has no professional educational experience whatsoever. (laughs) There's a bit of a controversy, as you might imagine. The school board voted 4-3 to three to hire Mark Taylor and offered him a $275,000 annual salary. He signed the contract on Monday, which also guarantees him $5,000 in moving expenses ahead of his uh, official start date, November 1st. So here's why people have an issue with Mr. Taylor's hiring. Number one, he has no public education experience. Instead, he has worked as a county attorney and a county commissioner. Uh, board member Nicole Cole, who voted against Mr. Taylor's hiring, said, I want to make sure that the public realizes there are provisions in this contract that are out of the norm for the offer of pay for someone who does not meet half of the job qualifications in the description. <laughs> meet half of the required qualifications. Uh, Ms. Cole is now fi- filing suit to appeal the Virginia Board of Education licensing Mr. Taylor for the job. Others are slamming the hiring decision because it appears Mr. Taylor is apparently buddies with the chairman of the school board. Aha! So now we start to see what's going on here. And as if that wasn't enough, Mr. Taylor has been accused of posting homophobic and racist content on social media and allegedly making posts that are anti-public education. This is exactly the person you want in charge of your school system. <laughs> even, even in a more bizarre twist, Mr. Taylor's daughter uh, has beseeched the board not to hire her dad, saying he is beyond underqualified <laughs> for the position. Even his daughter says that he is under beyond underqualified for the position. But here's the kicker. Either way, Mr. Taylor wins in this. Even if he doesn't end up getting hired after all, He's already signed a contract that guarantees him full pay for three years. (laughs) And he's already signed the contract, so they're on the hook for three years of salary one way or the other. Crazy. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, uh, this is from the international file in the town of Komono, Japan. Uh, An investigation was about ready to get underway into a vandalism incident or a series of incidents in which a bunch of bicycles have been vandalized in the city. Now, mind you, in many uh, places in Japan and uh, other places in in Asia, um, Asian countries, bicycles are are very common as a mode of transportation. Not everybody drives. and so a lot of people, uh, buy, and apparently a lot of these bicycles uh, have been vandalized in the community of Komono. Uh, but just as the investigation was set to begin, they solved the, the whole thing. Uh, news reports are a contract worker reported finding a large number of bicycles uh, abandoned near a parking lot in the town. The worker who is on duty uh said uh, this was more than just ordinary mischief, you know, typical vandalism. Somebody had had tossed these bicycles into the middle of the street. Uh, so the police department was concerned, and they approached the mayor about launching an investigation, and the mayor said, oh, that was me. <laughs> oh, I did that. The mayor of the town. He said, uh, apparently, parking bicycles in the parking lot... 
by the city's train station was outlawed back in July. So every morning he would go by and take any bicycles that had been left in the lot and toss them into the street. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> This went on for several months, apparently. Uh, the mayor was confronted with some town council members saying he could be sued for property damage and illegal dumping because at the end of the day, he was dumping the bicycles in the street. But the mayor does not appear phased by the complaints, and he says he does not believe he will be charged with any crime. <laughs> there. Oh, that was me. Uh, there you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. WFIN says thank you for listening. And remember, you can listen around the clock on computer, smartphone, or tablet. Start your day with Chris Oaks and good mornings. And stay with us all day long. You also get CBS Sports Radio plus all of our locally originated sports programming. Listen live whenever you like at 1330 WFIN, 95.5 FM, and at WFIN.com. Where you can also grab our free mobile apps for iOS or Android. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. You remember uh, with the uh, pandemic, the one of the enduring questions was uh, whether or not workers uh, would return to the office uh, like in that five day a week, nine to five basis uh, that was the norm pre-pandemic. Or would the work from home, work from anywhere model catch on at least you know would workers be able to uh, stay at home you know at least a few days a week what would that paradigm look like post pandemic and there has been an awful lot of analysis of this as the covid menace continues to decline and companies ramp up pressure on their staff to return to the office and a lot of the data has been somewhat subjective but this I thought was uh, really interesting. This is hard uh, numbers, uh, and they show that American workers are returning to the office at the highest rate since all of this began now. Uh, the data comes from Castle Systems, which is a company that monitors security pass swipes into buildings. You get those key cards that you swipe to get into your office building? Well, they keep track of those, so this is this is really quantitative data on you know the who's coming back to the office how often and and so on the number of workers that are actually in the building based on the security pass swipes what they found is that office use was on average 47.5 percent of early 2020 levels between september 8th and 14th in 10 major metro areas that is the highest rate that they have recorded in those key card swipes since late March, when the pandemic saw mass remote working begin in earnest across the country. So the highest rate is still 45% or 47.5%, but it's uh, higher than it has been. Midweek days are seeing the strongest returns. Tuesday and Wednesday uh, logging rates around 55% of pre-pandemic workforce levels. So Tuesdays and Wednesdays are the days that most Folks are returning to the office. Um, and uh, turns out Tuesday and Wednesday of last week logged uh, rates around 55% of pre-pandemic workforce levels, which was a pandemic high for those days, according to Castle. I just thought that was uh, really interesting. The uh, data, which is is very hard, very quantitative data based on the security card swipes. Interesting way of looking at that. So, you know, if you're following the news that over the weekend, Hurricane Fiona sideswiped Puerto Rico on its way to the Dominican Republic and now Turks and Caicos. Not expected to hit the U.S. mainland, but nonetheless, uh, the impact on uh, Puerto Rico came nearly five years exactly after Hurricane Maria devastated that island territory. You recall how big of a disaster that was, making landfall as Category 4. It was one of the first natural disasters the Trump administration had to respond to. You remember? Wiped out homes, 
washed away roads and bridges, destroyed the power grid. And even today, the recovery is still not complete. And some of that progress was wiped away by Fiona. Well, today, as it happens, today is the fifth anniversary of Maria making landfall. And a few days ago, we spoke with Yvonne rodriguez Wewall, executive, dire- uh, executive advisor for Direct Relief in Puerto Rico, about the progress that has been made since Maria, what challenges still exist, and also how that disaster has better informed preparedness plans and shifted Direct Relief's work in these types of emergency situations. Where are we now? What challenges uh, still exist five years later? So I think right now um, we have done a lot of improvements in various areas. um, And I believe that we are much more better prepared now than we were five years ago in case of any future emergencies, not only to respond in Puerto Rico, but also to respond in other islands in the Caribbean. Um, I represent, as you mentioned, Direct Relief, which is a nonprofit organization, and we help improve access to health care, to health um, services um, of people that have been impacted either by poverty or by um, uh, natural disasters, right? So um, we have been five years. We moved to Puerto Rico five years ago, and uh, we have been working in areas like resilient energy. We have been expanding delivery, the delivery of uh, care through telemedicine programs, um, donation of medical mobile units so that health clinics can actually go to the very rural areas of the island and provide medical services. Um, We have been bolstering communications also because that's one of the things that was affected after Maria. It was like we didn't have any communications Mm -hmm. whatsoever. So right now, clinics have radios that in case of an emergency, they're going to be able to communicate between each other and with the government. Um, And also in critical infrastructure improvements uh, in hospitals and health centers, um, things like roofs and bringing new equipment. Because the island was really devastated. So so that's uh, yeah. some of the areas that we have been working on. Yeah, I, and that's the reason why we wanted to bring this up. Number one, because obviously these events are uh, only in the news cycle for a set amount of time, for a limited amount of time. And so often, especially with a a natural disaster of this scope, of this scale, uh, the uh, rebuilding lasts much longer than the reporting on the event. So we wanted to kind of get an update with respect to that. But also, as you alluded to, uh, this was a storm. This was a disaster that really uh, changed the approach to disaster response in many regions respects, what can individuals in other parts of the world learn from the experience of Puerto Rico following Maria? I think um, it goes related to, to the challenges also. I think it's learning to identify and understand that these disasters are coming, and they're coming bigger and stronger and more intensive and more frequent. And with these uh, emergencies, we have more power outages. And these power outages, they create interruption in the health system. Um, And that's key. So we have to learn to prepare for it. We have to start looking for backup power. We have to start looking for other resilient energy sources um, to provide the continuity of of these services, of these health services. And how specifically has Direct Relief's approach to disaster response changed since this event five years ago? In Puerto Rico, for example, um, we have started to install panels and battery backup. In uh, we Up until now, we have done 16 clinics. Um, and now that we have gathered you know, the learnings, now we're expanding our program uh, nationwide. So we started identifying areas in California, Florida, Louisiana, and North Carolina. And um, with the experience that we had here in Puerto Rico, we're starting to help prepare these clinics that serve the most vulnerable populations in those areas. 
Yeah, certainly uh, issues uh, that come about because of a loss of power for an extended time uh, would not be unique to Puerto Rico. We know uh, how fragile our uh, power grid is in the mainland United States even. And so uh, obviously that uh, is a critical component of disaster recovery. You mentioned and and climatologists will, will say over and over again uh, that we are in for more storms, stronger storms, and yet this hurricane season has been pretty quiet. How concerning is it that we may sort of lull ourselves into a false sense of security when we have a season like this where we don't hear uh, about a whole lot of these specific disasters in the news? Yeah, it has been compared to Maria five years ago and then Dorian uh, two years after Maria in the Bahamas devastated the entire Bahamas. It's been uh, pretty uh, quiet, at least until now. But um, people should not get comfortable. We know and for experience these past years have been, you know, like we said, it's it's more frequent, more powerful every time. Like, take, for example, Maria and Dorian. Maria was a Category 5 and devastated the entire island. Um, no communications, no electricity for months and even years. And Bahamas was the same thing. It was completely devastated. It was yeah. a Category 5 and it was completely devastated. Again, Yvonne Rodriguez-Hoywal is executive advisor for Direct Relief in Puerto Rico. The recovery from Hurricane Maria five years ago continues. Where do we learn more about Direct Relief, your role in uh, helping with this ongoing recovery, and, as you said, preparing for uh, what may happen in the future? Our website it's directrelief.org. Again, that's directrelief.org. And we list all of the programs and initiatives that we have not only in Puerto Rico, but also in the States and all over the world. So I invite everybody to visit and learn more about us. We will link that up on our webpage as well. Yvonne, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Be well. Thank you. You too. Now, again, it is important to note that our conversation took place prior to Hurricane Fiona striking Puerto Rico over the weekend. But as an example of the way in which disaster response has changed and improved since Maria five years ago, even though it was reported that Fiona did cut off power to the entire island, uh, once again, virtually the entire island, once again, as Maria did, the recovery time has been described as days rather than weeks or months. So, again, just one example. We've got the link up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media. Reach out via email. The link uh, there at the website. Sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. Goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.